Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello there and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on Arsblog.com. I hope you're well, all ready for the cup final. It's tomorrow, the FA Cup finals tomorrow, and we play in the final at Wembley tomorrow, tomorrow. Except it's not actually tomorrow because I'm recording this on Thursday night, so it's two days away. But I'm still pretty excited, I have to say. I'm quite excited by the whole thing because, you know, it's, it's the FA Cup final. And there's a trophy to be won, and, and we could win the trophy and then and then there'd be hugs. It's great when you win the cup because everyone's kind of going, yay, and hugging each other. It's brilliant. And who doesn't like to be hugged? Apart from people getting hugged by, you know, Jimmy Savile and that. But generally, generally, people like a good hug. It's true. So that's what, that's what I'm looking forward to. Trophy and a, a hug, hopefully, fingers crossed. Not that I'm taking anything for granted, of course. We have, we have had our experiences in the past that I won't go into just now because, you know, what's the point? We've all been there. We've seen them happen. And there were no hugs on those days. Not even, not even sad hugs because nobody could bear to touch each other anymore because it was just so awful. So, look, we won't dwell on that part. We'll dwell on the, the good, the positive part and, um, and the cup final and, and stuff. And I feel now that I'm starting to talk about it because I've had a crazy busy week trying to organize all kinds of things. Now it's kind of hitting me that like in, in two days time, 48 hours from now, we'll be, we'll be in the midst of it. It's now 20 to 7 on Thursday evening. And two days from now on Saturday evening, we'll be like into the second half and oh, yeah. It's going to be good. I hope it's going to be good. It better be good. It better be good. Come on. It's got to be good. Please be good. Just be good. Don't be anything other than good. That's all I'm asking for in the cup final. Don't be anything other than good. From our point of view, not from an Aston Villa point of view. For them, let it be bad. Really bad. Awful. Awful. Terrible. Terrible bad. The worst bad that it could possibly be. Let it be that for Aston Villa. You know, and for us, just good. Good. Regular good. Plain good. Simple good. Super mega hella good. I don't care what kind of good it is once it's a good for us. That's all I'm saying. So, um, yeah, the uh, Premier League season is over. It is. It's done and dusted. Um, the teams that have gone down are, are down now. And that's a whole were the ones that, that ended up going down. Newcastle escaped on the final day. And, uh, and uh, well, I just don't give a fuck. Genuinely don't care one way or the other who went down. Because, like, fuck it, who gives a shit, really? Um, there was nobody entertaining enough to, to go down for me to be gutted that someone didn't go down. Like, if Tottenham, for example, were down there and they escaped on the final day, that would be a bit like, oh, oh, come on, I came so close. 
But then it didn't happen. Then it's only Hull and the other two, Burnley and uh, Queen's Park Rangers, were down long ago. Uh, there was no surprise on the final day about what happened. We had a good win over West Brom and uh, Manchester United, whatever they did, they drew with Hull and, you know... It was kind of boring in fairness on on the final day but there you go there is a there's another season over and done with flew by and the new season is going to begin really really quickly there's only 8 weeks between um well 9 weeks i think between the end of the premier league season could be 10 weeks it's not going to get any longer. But anyway, our, our season finishes May the 30th, and the first Premier League game is on the 8th of August. So, uh, you know, assuming that there is still an organized game of football next season, that what happens with FIFA isn't a precursor to the end of football as we know it, as it's discovered that, you know, FIFA and UEFA and the FA and, and everybody has been using football to siphon off money, to fund terrorists, to create plagues and outbreaks so they can control the world and uh, the sport of football is banned completely forever and ever um yeah it's only a very short time between now and the start of the new season and uh, all that kind of stuff so uh, you know it's flown by but you know what we're gonna do or what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna stop excitedly waffling and uh, this particular arse cast because it's almost the last one of the season, and because it's uh, building up to the FA Cup and and all that kind of stuff, uh, we're going to have a kind of a round table thing with three guests tonight. So that's good. So we can have a discussion about the end of the season. We can discuss the season in general. We can discuss FIFA. We can discuss the FA Cup final. Ooh, ooh, and of course, I nearly forgot because um, if you're around tomorrow night, if you're if you're doing nothing, if you're at a loose end. Uh, James and I, well, I'm assuming James will be there. Unfortunately, James um, had a bit of an accident today, Thursday, yesterday, as you're listening to this. He was playing football uh, on the Emirates pitch and really channeled his inner Arsenal player by getting absolutely clobbered by a goalkeeper. And unfortunately, he's got a broken wrist and a bit of a scuffed up eye which is a bit of a shame, but I don't think a broken wrist should stop him from doing what we were planning on doing tomorrow night, which is in the Tollington from around 7 o'clock. We're going to do like a live Arscast Extra Extra thing where we'll talk about the cup final and talk to people who are there and some guests and see if they're people who've come from far and wide. But also, we're going to live stream it on arsblog.com. Now, normally when you do something like this, right, the, the first thing you do is some testing like with the the venue, the sound equipment at the venue, and also with the technology. Unfortunately, given the distance between me and the venue, we haven't had a chance to do either of those things. So at some point late tomorrow afternoon, we're going to play around and hopefully get everything working. I think I know how it works. I think. And it should be all right. Um, but anyway, come along. One way or the other, we'll do something. We'll either broadcast to the to the pub, to the Tollington, or we'll broadcast live online and all going well. We'll do both of those things. So you can join myself and James and, uh, and guests and people from all around the world who will be coming to watch the cup final in the Tollington tomorrow evening. You can buy a beer, drink the beer, drink another beer, listen to us talk. Uh, I think there's some Arsblog books left there if you want to get a book. It'll be fun. Or it won't be, but it'll be something. And that's all that matters. So uh, join us tomorrow evening in the Tollington. Right. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. The uh, the Roundtable Arsecast that we're about to have. Correct. That's what we're going to do right now because, um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason not to. So first, a man who has seen more cup finals than 
than than I have because he's older than me. It's Gunnar Hollick. Hello. Hi uh, there, Blocks. Thanks for inviting me again. My pleasure. Uh, the man from East Laura, good evening to you. Uh, good evening. And Andrew Allen, hello. Good evening. Um, right. Um, Jim, I'm going to start with you because there's a, we, we can come to the FA Cup final in due course. We're under no time pressure here. Um, let's start with what's going on in, in FIFA the FBI and U.S. prosecutors. It's like a gigantic footballing episode of some kind of cop show. It's its all a bit weird, isn't it? It's very strange and and, um, uh, and very depressing, to be perfectly honest. Do you think it's I, depressing? I do. I mean, obviously, I do. I really do. It's the sort of sheer inability to do anything about it that makes me depressed, really. And the, the kind of the, the, ner- the sort of sheer chutzpah of just, you know, brushing it under the carpet and carrying on as if nothing's happened is... Uh, is is amazing and it, you know it's it's it, it's been going on for so long i mean we've been stories have been emerging for years about this and mm. and here we are again and uh, w- you know would you be massively surprised if not a lot happened again no i wouldn't be no, i wouldn't be massively would surprised no and that's the thing i find a bit depressing because yeah. you know uh, w- w- the other thing which is a bit i find a bit weird is and i i don't really understand how it works so probably everyone's going to just laugh at me now but what you know if can who who said to FIFA that you're running world football? I mean, can people not just turn around and say someone else can do it now? I mean, well, <laughs> I guess I suppose they could, but who and how? And you know, you've got the organisations, you've got UEFA, and you've got Concacaf, and all these various bodies that are looking after football in their part of the world. But I guess it's sort of a bit like the Vatican being in charge of of the church. You could probably say no. We want Trevor down the road to run the church, but Pope is always going to win out kind of thing. Well, yeah. Well, in that case, maybe it just needs a body beyond above it who mm. has a good look at or who's allowed to have a good look at what they actually do, because it's it's like a, a sort of, you know, it's like a closed shop, isn't it? And um, it seems it seems um, the worst for it. Mm. Parliamentary oversight committees, I think they're called, and uh, they always work, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's got to be some solution, hasn't there? Yeah, there sure does. Andrew, I mean, what, what, what do you make of it? The idea that the, the FBI, everybody in Europe has, I, I don't know, we've, we've spoken about it um, countless times on, on, the, uh, on the various websites, and, and, you know, people just, when you say FIFA, the word corruption is one of the first things that, that springs to mind, but nobody has ever done anything about it. About it. There was a panorama program uh, a couple of years back, if I remember correctly, highlighting some of the the, uh, the the situations that FIFA got itself into. That was shot down by people within the FA, by David Cameron. And now, whoa, everybody wants to be on the anti-FIFA bandwagon when they couldn't they couldn't get off it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a strange one because I think that the, the main guy behind a lot of the British investigations is Andrew Jennings, who's been pushing for this kind of level of uh, investigation to be taken on by a, a big body like you know a crime agency or a government or something for, for years and years and years. And I think the reason why the, you know a lot of people turned on that Panorama program was just really the timing and that it was like two days or something before England actually went and presented their bid. And at that point, there was a kind of level of hope that we might still host the World Cup. I mean, little did we know that mm. 48 hours later or whatever it was that, you know, the entire thing was shown up to be the ridiculous sham that it was. But, I mean, if anything, I'm just incredibly happy for some of those journalists who've been just knocking on the door for years and years in the same way that, like, the likes of Paul Kimmage were chasing Lance Armstrong. It For me, this feels different. I mean, this feels like a real sea change in the atmosphere. I mean, I saw that, you know, this has made headlines around the world, you know, 
every single newspaper in every single major kind of football country has been carrying this as a headline. I kind of, I honestly feel like we're getting to a tipping point where, you know, a bit like the IOC and the, you know, the Olympic corruption thing mm-hmm. that went on for years, it kind of feels like we're actually going to make some headway here. And it may well end up being, you know, the FBI who are the, who are the ones who are brave enough, brave enough to actually kind of take the, the lead step. But I mean, you're right. It's ridiculous. I mean, going back to the point about why is it that FIFA even seemed to have the control in the first place? They don't really control world football as much as they control and own the World Cup. You know, that's their that's their cash cow, and pretty much all of their money over the course of the last, you know, thirty years, it all comes from the World Cup. It all comes from selling those broadcast rights, and without it, they don't really have money. They basically go through a kind of four, well, three three and a half year period with no money. They make all their money from the World Cup, and then they send it all out to the countries or to their personal bank <laughs> accounts, you know, wherever it goes. But no, I, I, I honestly, I, I feel incredibly confident that they're finally going to make some headway, even though Blatter will probably get elected tomorrow. Mm. Uh, Holly, how, how do you how do you see it? I mean, Jim is depressed because um, everyone's known about this and nobody's done anything about it. But surely the, uh, the the fact that something is happening now is a good thing, even if we're looking at Seth Blatter this evening. And I, I saw some of his quotes, and and he is absolutely trenchant in his uh, desire to stay. And to put football right as if he had nothing to do with any of this. Um, And the idea that even if he didn't know, and that's a huge even and an even bigger if, even if he didn't know, that makes him completely unsuitable to run an organization like this. I mean, we've seen people uh, done for corporate manslaughter who knew nothing about uh, bad safety on a on a car or something and there's a, a crash and you know they're done for it because ultimately the responsibility rests with the man at the top he's going to brazen it out by the looks of it so it's going to take more uh, from these uh, uh, prosecutors to bring the whole thing down are you are you confident that that might happen I wouldn't say I know enough to be confident about it, but one of the... I haven't obviously haven't followed every minute of the story today because I've been at work, but I did listen to bits and pieces of it, and it would appear that there is some hope that because the FBI are the organisation that is going after them, that there is a degree of plea bargaining going on already and some hope that the people who are trying to lessen their sentences uh, are going to implicate blatter in some way which we have to hope is going to going to come to pass but then what happens once you've taken out the current layer of fifa leadership what happens does football rally around one of the other bodies or do we have an election process that brings in another group of people Mm. from around the world in which would you have more confidence not to do exactly the same thing well that's that's the thing isn't it because even if bladder goes and even if some of those executive goes there's a there's a i guess you'd say a corporate um ethos to fifa we know what they're about they're about Mm -hmm. selling advertising to the highest bidders they're about selling world cups to the highest bidders when you can when you can um when you think you can get away with having a world cup in the desert in a country with no real football history and no football stadiums and Mm -hmm. you can use slave labor and turn a blind eye to slave labor i mean it's interesting isn't it that some of the some of the sponsors they weren't that interested when these stories came out about how many people are dying building these stadiums but Mm -hmm. the minute it starts to really reflect badly on them then they're taking a step backwards Mm -hmm. 
Yes, exactly that. There is so much bad publicity that's been ignored. And I think part of it is because FIFA as it itself operates across boundaries. And so there is really no one organisation that can hold them to account. And as long as, you know, they've been able to put forward their, their counter arguments and they felt they've been above the law, then... The sponsors are quite happy because the sponsors, you're not going to tell me, although they're investing huge sums in that, you're not telling me that they don't have the marketing that tells them it's bringing them a return. Mm. They're not charities. Yeah. Uh, And so when they're getting that sort of return, you can understand if despise the kind of corporate corporate stagnation that's gone on. Mm. Andrew, it's not really a case, is it, that this is something that can, well, if you get rid of Bladder and you get rid of the executive committee, that you can just sort of say, right, we'll install some new people because all those structures are still there. It feels like it needs to be knocked down and rebuilt with complete and utter transparency. And it's, it's been fairly obvious for, for a long time that FIFA don't operate with any great deal of transparency. Well, I, I think just by its its global nature and its reach, and the fact that you know so many countries are part of the what they would call FIFA family, <laughs> that it's it's nigh on impossible on a on a day to day basis to ensure that bottom to top and top to bottom that you can prevent any kind of corruption. I mean, there's always going to be the chance that it, it there it, there are votes up for grabs somewhere. Um, what I think this current situation looks like it's going to pan out and do is probably bring about the downfall of a a 79-year-old man, which will end up being more symbolic. And you can only really then hope that the people who take up the mantle afterwards are going to try and do things for for the betterment of the game and the game's image, really. Mm. Um, I I, I think ruling out corruption full stop is is nigh on impossible. I mean, individuals will always chase money. Uh, brands and and marketing companies and 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 whatnot will always chase the, the the dollar the pound whatever whatever currency but um it feels like this will be at the start of a of a of a process which could take quite a long time i mean bear in mind that this you know blatt has been around for for, for a couple of decades now Prior to that, the the guy Havalange, who was who was president, was president from seventy four to seventy uh, to ninety eight. So that's another that's you know whatever that is that's twenty four years. Yeah. yeah. Prior to that, you're looking at modern football not really kind of existing in any real kind of organised state. So, you know, we're only really kind of three generations in when it comes to kind of FIFA presidents, and it's it it there's so much there's so much that can be done, but it, it's going to really take a lot of pressure from the big organizations to kind of force through that kind of change and really to just vote for, well, I mean, what will end up being probably the least of a bad bunch of candidates will probably end up trying to fill the void in the first place. Mm. And unfortunately, I don't have much confidence in the other guys who are standing because I tend to look at these things and think, you know, these are very odd positions that people try and push themselves forward for anyway. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I, I'm positive that change is on the way. What that change brings is, like with everything, it's, you know, it's a bit of a question mark. Jim, Jim um, the, the, I suppose that one of the people that's been um, uh, critical crit- most of, of uh, uh, Set Bladder today was Michel Platini, but he's been very much aligned with Set Bladder for years. So, um how do we how do we look at what he says in any genuine context? 
Well, let's not pretend that there's not massive politics at play here. Um, you know, the, uh, there's definitely all that a layer of that stuff going on. So, yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, a bit like Holic, I'm not, I'm not in kind of in terms of UEFA. I'm not sure about their backstory and whether they've been dogged by, dogged by the same sort of accusations. And I don't think so. I might be wrong. And um, um, and, I, and I guess, um, yeah, in terms of Platini himself, then he, he's definitely um, interested in, you know, in, in the higher echelons of, of FIFA as well. You know, they, they're all sort of in, in it together in the political sense. So I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily um, uh, back him any more than I'd back anyone else. But mm. um, I don't think they have the same uh, issues or the same scrutiny um, about their sort of financial uh, skullduggery that FIFA does. All right. Okay. Well, look, we'll leave FIFA to one side for the moment because uh, that's a that's an ongoing story and hopefully something that will keep us entertained and amused throughout the summer when when the football is over. But sticking with you with you, Jim, the um, the Premier League season finished uh, against West Brom on Sunday with a, a decent win, four one, uh, decent performance, good build up for the FA Cup final, which obviously we'll 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 turn to now in a few moments' time. But uh, your your overall thoughts on the Premier League season? Um, do you feel like this is a team that's made progress? Obviously, the league position is higher, but the points total is lower. I do think it's made progress. I, I really do, um, especially in the lat- latter half of the season. I, I feel that like they're more together and that the system seems to work a bit better and we've got more options than we had um, a year ago. So um, I, I do think it's been a, a better season, in honesty. It's been more enjoyable to watch uh, these last sort of four months, I mean, not not a bit before so much, but definitely it all seems to have come together. So, uh, yeah, I do. I do think it's better. Holly, how, how do you view it? I mean, the um, the points, the the performances. I mean, Arsenal last season were top of the league for a long time, and there was a lot of optimism around the around the period when Arsenal were top of the league and fell away towards the end of the season, which raised expectations. I mean, uh, even if you can see progress, has it been disappointing for you at times? Uh, certainly the first half of the season uh, there were kind of a lot of negatives going we'd seen that the the squad itself hadn't been strengthened in areas where a lot of people thought it should have been but the 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 other side of that is exactly what Jim was saying I think since Christmas the January window we kind of got the, the the two most important positions in which we were short covered albeit one of them accidentally and wasn't Cochlin a, a real bonus in the second half of the season yeah but yeah that second half of the season as well you've got to look at the the performances three three matches unbeaten in Manchester who would have thought of that at the start of the start of this season so we've learned how to play some of the bigger matches away or we appear to have done um, the football may not have been as exciting as it was before, but that was probably part of the problem in the bigger games away from home before. So, no, I would say over the second half of the season progress, but very disappointing the first. Andrew, the final part of the season, I mean, the, the run-in was great. Then they kind of came off the, 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 the wheels or off the tracks a little bit with that defeat to Swansea. I mean, do you think towards the end of the season that once that top four finish had been assured, the foot came off the gas just a little bit? Yeah, and I don't, I don't even really worry too much in the grand scheme of things about the, the Swansea performance. I mean, it, you know, as Wenger, I think, said after the game, it was it's one of those games that 99 times out of 100, you win it. I mean, we had whatever it was, some ridiculous number of shots, and, you know, we got caught on the break, and that was annoying, but we'd had plenty of games that season where we'd created as many chances, scored and battered a team and taken the three points. Um, I, I, I think 
definitely, obviously, the second half of the season was positive. I think the biggest thing is that the players, when you hear them speaking about the, you know, the state of the squad now compared mm. to this time last year, they're a lot more uh, confident. They feel like they've made progress, and if the players feel like they meet, they've made progress, and that really probably speaks more volumes than whatever we fans seem to think. Um, and you know, I think the other massive thing is that they're probably just not under that crushing pressure they were on uh, under 12 months ago. You know, that whole nine years of not winning a trophy and all the rest of it was, was horrible. I mean, it was horrible for the fans. It was, it was horrible for the players. And, you know, you know, Wenger was at the butt of a lot of that. I think they're able to kind of maybe go out there and express themselves a little bit more. Um, during that run, we played some fantastic football um, in previous runs at the end of seasons when we've been chasing a fourth place or what have you we've kind of really resorted to the kind of one nils and the grinding out results and stuff. So yeah, I, I definitely feel like we've, we've got a real basis to move forward. I mean, and again, for, you know, what's really good is that we don't have any players who look like they particularly want to leave. I mean, you know, there might be a couple of questions over some players, but mm-hmm. fundamentally the squad will be there this time next season. And we don't have a, you know, a world cup or a, a major international tournament, Alexis Sanchez and Ospina aside going off to the Copa America to, to, to worry about this summer. Mm. That's an interesting one, but it is a, it is a short summer. That's the thing. It's only an eight or nine week summer period, so um, we do have to do what we need to do um, within that within that period. Holic, what's your thoughts on Theo Walcott uh, after a uh, a great display against West Brom? But and I'm going to talk about whether he should start the cup final in a few minutes' time. But what are your thoughts about the current situation with his contract? How do you see that ending up? Oh, well, you had to come to me with that one, didn't you? I did. <laughs> um, I thought he needed a performance like last week's because he's come back from injury and not really played with any degree of consistency or it would appear confidence. And clearly Arsene had lost some confidence in him. So that that performance last week will have boosted everybody around him, I would think. Whether it's made a difference to the contract negotiations, I'm kind of of the view that uh, if you're looking at Theo letting him go, were the right deal to be presented... What are you going to do to replace him? Mm. Are we going to promote Oxlade-Chamberlain or are we going to spend stupid money on a a punt on Sterling who doesn't look the most conscientious character on the planet, (laughs) shall we say? I'm trying to be very careful with my words there. But I, I personally now, after last week, and having seen him at close hand yesterday... I'd be tempted to stay with what you know. Right. Jim, what's your thoughts on this? Everybody wants Arsenal uh, to to find the world-class striker. Mm. They want somebody who can get that extra 15, 20 goals. Is Theo Walcott that player? Uh, well, if he plays like he played on the first half against West Brom, then you'd say he has a... You know he's he's in he's in line to be considered. Uh, I, I I want to keep the guy. I've always rated him, uh, and I think we've all and I've long said that we've underestimated how how bad his injury was, not just physically but but mentally as well. I think those things take a long time to uh, to get over, and I think I agree with Holick. He he yeah, on his odd cameo he didn't he didn't really do a great deal, but uh, in his last couple of games, especially obviously the West Brom game, then something seems to have clicked again and, and, and you know, it was a real joy to see. So can he do it? 
can he do it on a wet Tuesday night in Stoke? I, I mean, I don't know. But if you if he played Shouldn't anything, we like, know though already. I mean, he's twenty six years of age. Well, we don't know for a simple reason that he he only got to the point when you know when Wenger trusted him to play up front against Spurs, and he got injured for eighteen months, the best part of you know a year. But it's it's eighteen months now. He played brilliantly there against West Brom. Um, I, I would say I would I would sort of veer on the on the side of no, he's probably not a centre forward, but he can play there. So as an option with with you know someone who can play le- uh, right and and centre, then I still think I'd keep him. I I, I don't see the value in getting rid of him, uh, to be perfectly honest. But obviously, whether he signs another deal is another matter altogether. Mm. Andrew, better the devil you know, or do you make a decision now when he's got twelve months left on his contract, if there is still an impasse? What do you do? Do you take the money and invest and try and uh, bring in somebody else, maybe in a different position, and, and as Hollick said, uh, promote Oxlade Chamberlain, or or what do you do? I I actually genuinely think he's going to sign a new deal. I'm not even really that. I don't I don't even really doubt that. I've just got this feeling, looking at the way that he talks about his current situation. Um, he's he's spoken very fondly of of the manager and and the patience that Wenger's shown with him, um, and he's not. He doesn't look as kind of agitated as he did, you know, two two years ago when he was or two two years ago when he was negotiating the last deal. I, I actually think he's he's quite settled. I think in a weird way he may even feel slightly awkward about the fact that he's been out for so long and kind of feel like he's got unfinished business. Um, I've never been Theo's greatest fan, but that's because he just frustrates the absolute fuck out of me because he's just. <laughs> Like, you see when he's good, he's so very, very good. But when you see when he's bad, he's just so incredibly anonymous on the pitch. And I think the worst thing as a football fan, and maybe it's a a particularly, you know, a British football fan thing, is when a player sits around and stands around and just doesn't seem to have any effect on the game whatsoever, Mm. that it drives you absolutely nuts. But I I, I genuinely think he'll, he'll sign a new deal. It'll... You know, even if we give him the money that he wants, it'll be cheaper than trying to bring in Sterling, who I think is probably the kind of ready-made alternative. And and truth be told, I mean, getting involved in a big old transfer saga all summer isn't really going to do us much good. So, I think I think he'll sign. I think he'll 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 take the money that we offer him, probably, or at least he'll barter a little bit harder. But he'll probably get the money that he wants, and um, he'll he'll probably put pen to paper on a four-year deal that will take him way past. Um, any player in the recent era for, 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 for you know, time on the... Uh... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
on the scoreboard or whatever it is in yeah. terms of you know being at the club. Jim, um, I'm not going to ask you to name names, but first question, should Arsenal next season have a, a real genuine expectation of a, a title challenge? And secondly, what does the current squad need to bridge the gap between us and Chelsea? I think... Uh, I think Arsenal should always be in for a shout of the title. To be honest, no, sure, but um, I don't think you can title for. I don't think you can challenge for a title with Danielson and Song and Bender and no. that kind of thing. You know, so I think we've come through that era that we had to make do with players who weren't necessarily going to get you to that end of the table or, or at least make you challenge. But now I think, I think it's fair. I do. I, I agree. I, I I totally agree. I I think I think we didn't really well. We didn't this year, but there are signs of progress. And I think next year, there's, you know, assuming nobody goes, and I think I think that's a fair assumption. I think the team will be a lot more settled. The defence looks a lot more solid. We didn't get thrashed six one or five one, anything like that. Mm. Um, and there, and I think I think we will make some signings that will push us on a bit. And also, we seem to have found a bit of a better system, um, you know, at times in different games, which I think all are positive signs. So I think we should be changing, you know, and. Let's face it; it's going to be bloody hard because uh, Chelsea are a very, very good, very, very good side under Mourinho, and, and they know what to do. And it's going to be hard, but I, I do think I do expect us to be closer next year than than we are this year. And that's really all you can ask, isn't it? And by which I mean challenging for it. I mean, you know, it might drop a few points, come come up a bit short, but to be there or thereabouts, I think I think we will be. Yeah. All right. So where would second, you? Part, yeah. Where would you buy? I'd buy a new keeper. Um, I'd buy a new keeper. I I would buy. A new. Would you uh, buy probably, Petr Cech? I would buy Petr Cech if he wanted to come, and if if we could get him, um, I would buy someone like Lloris if he wanted to come. But again, <laughs> but these are two, two two very difficult transfers. But I think we can improve on what we have there. Uh, if we can get a world class striker, I would I would get him and and just not worry about the effect it would have on other players that are there. Because let's face it, you've got to be a bit ruthless from time to time. But again, getting that striker is not easy um and so i would i would i would do that uh in the central midfield it's a tough one i mean cockland has been so phenomenal he's made so many people's team of the season and you know, talking journalists here as as well as as um as fans and i think he's had an amazing season but i do think we need a second option there um, whether that's someone to replace him or whether that's someone to compete with him well that's up to Wenger, but I would make those three signings, and and the rest of it, I think, is in a pretty good place. All right, Holick, how about you? Jim has just spoken. I think every word that I would have said as well. Uh, the the squad as it stands, if we were good enough to win the league, we would have been able to finish second this season. We didn't finish strongly enough, so there is something wanted. But yeah, and I'd agree with the three positions. I think a world-class goalkeeper, but there aren't that many of them around. I agree that Lloris is probably the most attainable of them. Do you think Lloris is is more gettable than Czech? Uh, no, I don't want particularly rate Czech anymore. Right. Uh, I think he lost his place at Chelsea for a reason. But, uh, but maybe because they just had somebody younger, or do you think his form? I and think his... I think they went and bought someone younger and and better because he was starting mistakes were starting to creep into his game. Uh, I've seen nothing when he's come in and stood in uh, that says we should be investing a large sum of, of money salary-wise in him. Yeah. Because uh, uh, I'm not sure that he's an upgrade on what we've got uh, as he stands now. No doubt about it, he was. 
but I don't see that. I don't rate him now. Right. So, uh, okay. Um, but again, the other, the same with the other positions. Uh, that if you've, if there's a goal scorer, a genuine goal scorer out there who's not going to hit it straight at the keeper from six yards when he's tired, then yes, <laughs> let's go for that. Um, although that sounds harsh as well on Giroud because I think he's had an outstanding season. Yeah. Uh, but he, too much has been asked of him with the injury to uh, Thierry on. Uh, sorry, Thierry on. Thierry on. Oh, 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 <laughs> there. The number 14. Yeah, yeah, That'll yeah. make it easier. Um, yeah, he <laughs> kind of hasn't had a lot of uh, a help there, has he? And it doesn't look as though Danny Welbeck is the guy to play centrally, although he's another one who thinks he wants to. Right. But no, if, if there was a Benzema out there, maybe. Let's, let's just see where that mm. goes. Andrew, uh, um, so would you would you take uh, would you be looking in any different positions from the other two? Oh, I mean, I, I to be honest, I have to agree. I think if I looked at goalkeeper and 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 someone who say Coquelin gets injured first day of the next season, you're back to Flamini and Arteta again. I think you really really want to find a quality kind of uh, player there for, for for competition and also just in those harder games to be able to play two real out-and-out kind of hard guys in the midfield. Um, I'd take Czech. I think Czech is the same age as Lehman was when Lehman came um, to, to Arsenal and obviously had a fantastic first season, so I don't think there's anything wrong with buying an older keeper. Uh, I just, I don't I don't know what 30-goal, 40-goal, you know, a season strikers are out there and available that wouldn't absolutely bankrupt the club, to be honest. I mean, it's... You, you, and, and not only that, but guys that you think are definitely going to be able to produce in the Premier League, it's really difficult. Yeah. So, I, I look at I look at Arsenal. I think, okay, he's, you know, he's he'll, he'll he'll be quite logical about some of the positions, but I, at the same time, I I would one hundred percent expect him to go out and buy a couple of like you know young players that we've never even heard of who'll just go and fill squad positions. I mean, it's interesting because obviously you know we went and spent two and a half million quid on that. Bielik guy who's only 17, 18 and he's going to want to start to bed that guy into the first team he's supposed to be a kind of big defensive midfielder so maybe that's the kind of guy that he starts to look at to kind of give experience alongside Coquelin um, and then there's also you know we've got so many players coming back that we're going to have to get rid of them I mean I can see Podolski for example being someone who brings in a bit of cash and um, you know Campbell's you know, a, a name now across Europe. So he's someone who might bring you some money. Sonogo, I think he'll stick with um, because, you know, he's young, he's French, and I don't think Arsenal's quite done with him yet. Mm. But uh, it's it's difficult. I, I, I think you'd be it'd be really harsh on Giroud to sort of go out and buy. Because I look at players like, say, Mandzukic or um, the uh, Lewandowski. They're the two kind of better versions of Giroud that exist out in, on the continent. And I, I don't really see us spending the money to get either of those two. So I'm not yeah. really sure who else you're going to get. All right. Well, look, that's uh, that's one for the summer. We'll have to wait and see. It's two to one for Petr Cech. So you're outvoted there, Holic. unfortunately. <laughs> ah, well, I'll take that. Well, you know, again. <laughs> you're better judges than I. Yeah, that, well, that's true. Better judges than all of us. Right. So, look, let's turn our attention to tomorrow's game, the FA Cup final. Hugely exciting occasion. Um, last season, it was a little bit too exciting, if exciting is the word that describes it. Um yeah, bra- uh, pant browning, I think is the way <laughs> that you could. That you could. Um, to me, the team seems pretty obvious bar two positions. The goalkeeper, 
and the striker. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jim. Uh, and let's start with the goalkeeping position. I'm not trying to sway you in any way here, but this evening we wrote a piece on uh, on Ars Blog News where Bob Wilson, he reckons that, that Wojciech Szczesny will start, and he, he's quite quite okay with that. He likes Szczesny, thinks the criticism of him has been a bit overblown. So I put in a, a little poll on the website, and people can vote on it themselves. The readers can vote. And as it stands at the moment, now it's completely unscientific, and bear in mind here that Ospina is super popular on Arsblog News, that if you say anything that is in any way critical, you, I would get, dare. you get all the thumbs down in your comments. Let me tell you, it's quite <laughs> quite the chastening experience. But um, the situation as it stands, 71 point. 0.25% of people want Wojciech Chesney to start in the final. Who would you pick and who do you think the manager will pick? I think I think Wenger will pick Ospina. And I, and I say that because uh, Chesney has not had an outing since the semi-final. I also say that because I think something happened back in January that you know, has broken trust and confidence. Um, you know, not just the obvious kind of smoking in the dressing room, but that's probably symptomatic of something else. Uh, I think he'll play a spinner. Um, I would. I'd like to see. I'd like to see Chesney play it. And the re- and the reason I like that is is that I thought he was very harshly left out last year. He was our number one keeper last year, and yeah. and uh, and at that time he had a, a future kind of extending into the long distance. You know, that might have changed a bit now, but and I, I thought you know for, for a guy that was about to leave didn't really deserve to to uh, li- you know, play one of the games that you live your career to play and uh, and I felt sorry for Chesney that year so I, I would play I'd like to play him I think he's as good as a spinner he'll be a bit rustier mm. I think he's as good as him and and y- you never know if he did play him then maybe there is a, a future for him here but uh, it is a weird scenario whereby we might end up having two cup final appearances and two keepers who are, who are straight <laughs> off in the summer but I would I, would, I think Wenger will play a spinner uh, uh, but I think um, I would like to see Chesney play mm. Hollick, it is a, a strange one, isn't it? Because when you have a, a club that has been nine years without a trophy and what a trophy means, not just for the club, but for the players to achieve that winning mentality, to know that you can go out and you can win something. Um, and we saw it even, there was a semi-final, was it a few years back, where he didn't play Arshav in, in the semi-final because he mm-hmm. wanted these young players to, to prove that they could do it, and ultimately they couldn't. It was a, To me, that was always the oddest thing about leaving your number one goalkeeper out, that this is a guy who was 23-24 with all the time in the world, loads of potential, that if you could infuse him with, the, with this winning spirit, knowing that he's gone out there and won an FA Cup with Arsenal, surely that's only to uh, his benefit, the club's benefit, the team's benefit, everybody's benefit, over, as Jim says, a, a player who, who was going to leave and everybody knew he was going to leave. It felt like wrongly sentimental. Yeah, absolutely agree with every word of that. And by the way, it still applies this year because if he plays and wins, now he's got that medal behind him again. Uh, I would stick with him on the basis that he has played in all of the other rounds. But um, exactly the same as Jim. I have a feeling that because he didn't play last week, uh, that uh, Wenger's going to stick with Ospina for the final. Mm. Uh, Andrew, what do you reckon? I think he's going to play Chesney. I think it might. Oh, I, I, I think he's going to play. I think he's going to play Chesney. I think he's going to play him because he has played on all the other rounds. I think he's also going to play him because I think he's going to throw it as a kind of last throw of the dice with him 
uh, on the psychological thing. Kind, of, I just feel like he's had him on. You know, Arsenal hates to give up on a project, and Wojciech says he's been part of the Arsenal academy and he's been around for so long. And he brought him into the team, and he made his debut at 19 at Old Trafford, and he's he's gone on to have a you know a pretty decent start to a goalkeeping career. I mean, mm. you know, if all things you know, he, last year he won the Golden Glove and all, all the rest of it. I mean, he should on paper go on to have a great career as an Arsenal goalkeeper. I almost feel like he might, as a kind of paternal gesture, sort of say, "Here you go, this is your chance. I made you sit out last time." This time I need you to deliver for me on the day and I also want you to start delivering for me on a day-to-day basis in the future and stop fannying around with, you know, all the stupid things that he's done over the course of the last few years that have annoyed everybody. Mm. I mean, that's what I think. I don't think it's very easy to ever second-guessing second Arsene's nigh on impossible. I mean, he's done. he's been around for so long that he's been in the situation where he's been able to make every different decisions so it's hard to kind of find a precedent and stick by it um so i you know i quite i quite like to see him play i kind of like him even though he's a bit of a idiot sometimes because <laughs> he's just human like everybody everybody makes stupid mistakes i mean obviously lighting up as a professional footballer in the dressing rooms of an office opposition stadium just after you've conceded two goals is really dumb but um he seems like an honest kid. I'd like to see him play and get a trophy. Mm. Um, my, my feeling is that I'd like to see Chesney play, but I'm also worried that he hasn't played for a while. I I think he might play Ospina. That's kind of the way I'm leaning at the moment. It changes, of course, because the more you think about it, you think of reasons why he would play Chesney. Um I think if the interest in a new goalkeeper in the summer is real, I think it's Chesney that will go not Ospina. Mm. Um, so I wonder, will he have that same streak of sentimentality that he had for uh, Lukas Fabianski? Um, I think Chesney's a better goalkeeper than Ospina, but he's coming into it cold. He didn't get the warm-up game, and I think that I think that could be the thing that, that tells us what he's going to do um, because he did give Fabianski the last league game of last season, so... It's such a difficult one. But, I mean, we, the the other thing to throw out there is, like, we shouldn't necessarily be in a position where we're trying to guess which goalkeeper is going to play. We should just have a really good goalkeeper who's very obviously going to play. Mm. Um, but there you go. All right. Well, look, um, so that's why I think that's 3-1 who think Wenger is going to play Ospina, but I think everybody would like him to play Chesney. Yes. So... So there you go. I don't know what's going to happen. Who knows? So the other the other question then is, uh, Andrew, it's uh, Theo Walcott or Olivier Giroud. Uh, did Theo Walcott's performance against West Brom force him into contention for a place in the cup final, having been out for so long, bearing in mind that the game against West Brom was a dead rubber? They didn't care. They just were, wanted to get it over and done with. I mean... Uh, Giroud obviously is coming in off the back of an eight-game goal drought. It's a, it's another one where uh, th- there's definitely a case to be made for both sides. I think I think Theo Walcott did an amazing job giving Wenger an absolutely massive headache um, just ahead of the the final. Um, I don't think Theo was really in with a shout ahead of the West Brom game, but I mean scoring three goals in a half is, is a fantastic response. And obviously Giroud with the little gold draft that he's on, that's in itself something to, to, to worry about. But what I do look at, and I, I 
I think it became incredibly apparent when Giroud came back into the side is what Giroud offers from a defensive point of view, particularly from set pieces. Mm. And when you look at Christian Benteke and his record and the number of goals he scores from headers and then the fact that we conceded two ridiculously stupid goals from set pieces this time last year in the cup final, I just kind of get this feeling that he's going to want to maybe start out really solid, maybe a little bit more conservative and then start to build into the game because cup finals are not games that you want to make stupid mistakes in like we did last year. And you make it incredibly traumatic and difficult for yourself. And I just get this feeling that he may actually put, play Giroud partly for his defensive qualities. Mm. That's, my, that's my view, actually. It's an interesting one. The, 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 the drought such as it is that he's on is the longest... I'm just going through stats very quickly here. It is the longest since he joined the club where he didn't open his account for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. It took him seven games to score his first goal. And I think at the moment it's eight games without a goal. Am I right there? Yeah, it's basically like, cheers, Thierry Henry. Thanks for ruining Olivia Giroud's confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, what what do you reckon on this one? Eight games without a goal is the longest he's ever gone without a goal. It's the longest streak since he joined the club. Does the law of averages kick in? He's got to score one sooner or later. Well, uh, I think it's not it's not just the the drought. It's it's the way his kind of body language is not great. He looks really shattered, Um, and and I think I think he kind of hit the wall a bit, and that's uh, that's a bit of a worry for me. Based on form, I mean, you know, you would say stick Theowin. He had a great game. He looks energetic. He looks up for it. Is one game Giroud. form, though? Well, is eight games form. I mean, you know, it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in as much, but except, you know, except... Um, I, I just think that you the, you go with the t- you go with the players who, who are giving you a little bit extra at that point. And, and I think I would... I would like to see Theo Walcott start. I do totally get the defensive thing, and actually, I think, I think, I think Wenger probably will start Giroud. But I, I'd like to see Theo start just because he was exceptional at 45 minutes. I mean, superb. And uh, and I think, you know, you have Giroud on the bench. You you start with with Theo. I I, I would I would like to see that happen. Whether it does happen, mm. not not so sure. <laughs> uh, Andrew, you went with him starting Giroud, right? I did, yeah. Right, so that's two starts for Giro that you think the manager is going to going to do. Okay, Holick, tell us. Three nil. <laughs> Three nil. You're going to. You think yeah, he'll start Giro? I think he'll start Giro. Yeah. I think um, he's going to keep the shape that did so well against Villa in the two league outings. Although Villa are a different side these days, and we'll come into it. Uh, possibly set up to play the way that other teams have played against us in recent weeks when Giroud hasn't been on fire. But at the same time, the argument for Theo based on one game against what was seemed to be a very disinterested West Bromwich Albion defence, um, no, it doesn't quite do enough for me. I, I, I would I would stick with Giroud, and I think he will stick with him. Mm, I'm of that opinion too. I think he'll play Giroud, and I think... Probably what Walcott did against West Brom was show us that at least if things aren't going our way, that there's somebody on the bench who can come on and change the game to a certain extent, or at least change the way that we play. Or give and hopefully before the seventieth minute. Well, yeah, and hopefully you know if we do bring Theo Walcott on, it's you know in the final few minutes when the job is done. I mean, let's let's um, let's hope that that's the case, rather than looking for guys like Wilshire and. 
uh, Walcott to come on as well as they played, I'd be quite happy for them to just trundle onto the pitch for a 10 minute stroll about just before we lift the cup. So uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen. This is what I'd like to happen. I'm taking nothing for granted. Uh, Jim, how much of what happened last season will be of benefit to this Arsenal side? Most of them um, were there for this game and it was a it was a chore it was a difficult win but a win all the same um mm. so does that give you the give you the knowledge that even if things don't quite go as well as you'd like you know that you can respond and you can fight back I don't know if it does. I think the, the thing about a Wembley final is it is a complete one-off. Everyone's up for it. You know, you look at how Wigan played against us and Reading, and that was, you know, that's more recent than the, than the mm. Hull, Hull game. And we struggled badly. Um, and I don't think we've... I mean, we, we, you know, the whole game in hindsight was just amazing because we came down back from from two nil down, but we were an absolute shambles for sort of <laughs> fifteen minutes of that game, and um, I I don't know whether having won it really is going to make an enormous difference. If I'm honest, I, I think Villa will be massively up for it. They haven't won the cup since 1957 or something, and they haven't been in the final for you know 15, 16 years or something. So it is a huge, huge game, and and it's and it's a one off, and I I don't know that we're going to play the free flowing football that we want I, I think that's probably asking too much Andrew we have felt a little bit inhibited haven't we when we've gone to Wembley in recent times you know the final the game the, the game against Wigan semi-final against Reading you know on paper everyone looks at those teams and says well Arsenal should swap them aside and based on what Arsenal did to Aston Villa in the league this season a 5-0 and a 3-0 at Villa Park people are probably going to expect much the same but uh, you it, Surely the team itself can't go into this game and think, well, we're overwhelming favourites, we just need to turn up. You know, there there have been some lessons and some scares over the last 12 months at Wembley that we just can't ignore. And yeah, and not just at Wembley. I mean, I kind of felt like we turned up to the Monaco game in the Champions League and got, you know, given a spanking when, you know, the crowd as well, I think, were just mm. expecting us to deliver a result. I think the only game at Wembley where we've really relaxed, and it, I mean, it is effectively a friendly, was that Community Shield game against Manchester City. Uh, other than that, every game there has been incredibly fraught, and there's this otherworldly nervous tension that just flows around the ground. And a lot of it, I think, is to do with just as a supporter, you're in unfamiliar territory. You're surrounded by unfamiliar people who are making unfamiliar comments, which get in your tits in an unfamiliar way. <laughs> and you just, it's just, it's, there's a lot of just kind of, I don't like the guy who's next to me. I didn't choose to sit next to him and I haven't had five years to sort of get to know that this is what he's just like when he's watching a football game. It's kind of, it's, it's an odd, odd environment. And I mean, it would be great if we went one nil up, two nil up early, it would be perfect. I'd love nothing more, but I fully expect it to be an absolutely horrible afternoon again um, <laughs> so, and that's, so's the bloke who's sitting next to me by the way as a spectacle it's one of those ones where you look forward to it so much more and then the moment it starts it's when the dread kicks in mm. and Thanks, guys, for making me start shitting it. This is the, uh, the the immutable law of the football fan, isn't it? You know, the, the, the door or the, every, the glass is uh, half empty, especially when you come into something like this. You can envisage everything that possibly could go wrong. You can see how it might happen. 
and it's not as if we don't have uh, experience of it or form for this kind of thing that you know we we are we are quite quite talented in making life difficult for ourselves um uh, holic how, how are you expecting this one to go i mean do you think that the team will take what happened last season the victory from last season and and put in a more mature performance or is it just really cup final on the day you just do not know what's going to happen um uh, and you know it can go either way um regardless of form going into a game well any cup game can go anyway you, you know that yeah. going into it but uh if i can put jim's mind at rest we all said last year going into the final if we can find a way of winning this one it proves we can win things and that was kind of uh seen as a point at which after then okay when we got there again we've got the experience of doing it and teams that have got that experience go and repeat it mm. so I, I i'm kind of hopeful i have to say i think there's there's enough desire in that side. I think there's enough quality in that side. I think they'll have had a week, uh, Wednesday apart, they'll have had a week where they've been kept pretty much away from everybody, building spirit, building what they're going to do on Saturday. So, no, I, I'm quietly confident. All right. OK, well, I think on that quite positive note, we might leave it there before we delve into the realms of despair and doom. So uh, I thank you for your contributions this evening, and hopefully we'll catch up at the weekend uh, for uh, for all that that might entail. Uh, the man from East Lower, Jim, thanks as always. No worries. Thank you very much. Andrew Allen, thank you. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, Gunnar Hollick, thanks as always. Oh, thank you very much, Blogs, and thanks, Jim and Andrew. There you go. Thank you indeed to the chap schooner, Holic Andrew Allen, and the man from East Lower. Struck me this evening that the man from East Lower, I mean, it, it could be worked into a limerick really well. There once was a man from East Lower, something, something. Do your worst. Come on. I can't be expected to do all the creative stuff around here. So look, I don't know what else to tell you other than we've got an FA Cup final tomorrow. We're in the Cup final. We are in the Cup final at Wembley tomorrow, and it's exciting. And I'm excited. I'm very excited. I'm a bit too excited now, actually. I should I should calm down. But look, please come and see us, uh, myself and uh, James, in the Tollington tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock. We'll have the live broadcast thing. And look, even if it all goes terribly wrong, which it might because we haven't had any uh, time to test or anything like that, uh, and this was just a crazy idea that we had and, you know, didn't have any planning or strategy or any of those things. But look... We'll still have beer. Martin and Louise at the Tongton will make sure that there's beer that you can buy and we can drink and we'll all have a fine time together on the eve of the FA Cup final. And then Cup final day will be here and then it'll be the Cup final and then hopefully, hopefully there'll be hugs. I will be dispensing the hugs if we win the FA Cup final. So come on, Arsenal. Let's have a great weekend. Fingers crossed for the match. And, um, well, yeah, we'll look back on it on the Arsecast Extra on Monday evening. It'll be, I think, for the Arsecast Extra because I've got to go to, to Edinburgh because Mrs. Bloggs and the Mug Smasher are running the Edinburgh Marathon on Sunday. So I'm going to Edinburgh on Sunday. Whew, that's going to be an interesting trip. Um, so I, I'm not back in Dublin till late on Monday evening, so we'll uh, we'll have to wait and do the podcast then. But look, I'm waffling now due to excitement and nerves and all that kind of stuff. So look, uh, hopefully see some of you over the weekend. Come on, you gunners. Catch you on the next one, folks. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 